Hey guys, if you like this podcast, and I'm assuming you do because you're listening to it right now, you can help me keep making it. First of all, you can spread the word, especially on Tumblr. Reblog stuff when I post it. Talk about the podcast on your own blog if you like it. Secondly, if you want to support it in a more material way, you can go to our website at keepsingingpodcast.wordpress.com. There is a picture of a tip jar on the front page. Takes you to PayPal. You can toss a couple of bucks in my hat there. Or you can go to my Patreon, which is linked at the top of my Tumblr at dynamicsymmetry.tumblr.com. You make a small monthly donation, which is absolutely fantastic and thank you for listening to this and listening in general and I love you so much and you're wonderful and thank you hello and happy holidays welcome to keep singing a Bethel and Beth Green and Daryl Dixon podcast I am your host Sunny also dynamic symmetry on tumblr and twitter and a whole bunch of other places and welcome to our semi Christmas episode I mean, it is, it is not really our Christmas episode, except at the end, I read uh, a Christmas fic that I wrote, like, God, I don't even know, a really long time ago. But mostly it's just me and Molly finally having a conversation that I've been wanting us to have for a really long time, because the last time we did this together, uh, that actually ended up being one of my most popular episodes, so clearly this is something that people are interested in. And I, I meant to do this with her for forever, and finally uh, I got both of us to sit down and record um, over an hour, an hour and a half of conversation, with no theme, really. I mean, we just kind of rambled. Molly was worrying about rambling, and I was like, no, like you need to understand that rambling is part of the whole thing, and even when I'm talking by myself, I ramble, so it's, it's, it's actually pretty great to have somebody else to take uh, some of the load of the rambling. And anyway, she's awesome. Whatever she thinks, she's fucking amazing, and I think you're really going to enjoy this. So, it's tiny bit Christmas. Um, I have a fully Christmas episode uh, that's not really a proper episode because it's mostly just me reading one fic, but it is going to be Christmassy, and I'm hopefully going to get that out before Christmas. But if I don't, um, I hold very strongly to the idea that Christmas is a 12-day feast, so it will be Christmas by my standards, just not by everybody's standards. Uh, and it's, I mean, it's Christmas because I celebrate Christmas, but happy holidays to everybody, whatever you celebrate. Uh, this is just a great time of year, I think, for people who like celebrations, because there's so much to go around. So before I get into the conversation with me and Molly, a couple of quick announcements. Let me click over to them here. Okay, first of all, uh, Ultimate Bethel Thicklist. You can find them at ultimatebethelthicklist.com. They are running the second annual Moonshine Awards, which is super exciting. Uh, I did fairly well in the last one, which I was very pleased about. I'll be yours for a song especially, did well. Uh, this is going to be taking place in terms of nominations between January 2nd and January 14th, 2017, I mean, obviously. Uh, all nominations have to be marked completed between December 1st, 2015 and December 31st, 2016. And uh, that's apparently just because of some oddities with last year's voting. So, any fix completed between those dates, nominations open up January 2nd and they close January 14th. So get those in because this was awesome when it happened last year. And the more people participate, the more awesomer it is. Winners will be announced February 10th. So yeah, get, get involved in that when it starts. Also, uh, Ultimate Bethel Ficklist is running the Meant to Be contest. I think this is the first time that's happened. 
Anyway, it's, it's, it looks really cool. Uh, submissions are accepted starting December 5th. They're going to close January 30th. Public voting will open February 1st, and it will close February 12th, and then the winners will be announced on February 14th. By the way, that, that noise in the background is my husband doing stuff with boxes because we got started on our Christmas stuff super late. We only got a tree this year. Uh, I mean, we only got a tree today. <laughs> and uh, we're kind of chaotic, but we're, we're pulling it together. It's, it's going to be good. Uh, there are more detailed rules that you can find at the Ultimate Bethel Ficklist website. Just go there and look at the top and click on the meant to be contest and the full information will be there but get writing and get submitting because this will be great i'm glad that they are doing uh contests and annual things because i think that stuff like that in the fandom is really great so uh, i'm going to go ahead and get to the conversation with me and molly i really enjoyed it she seemed to enjoy it and i hope that you will enjoy it as well All right, so let's go ahead and get started. Hi, everybody. Uh, we are very privileged to be able to be talking today to Molly slash your sale not drift now, not Beth Green's yes. gang anymore. Yes, and Sam also, Person. Sam Person and also Shoozy on AO3. So last time we did this, we actually had a theme. Uh, we were talking mostly about asexuality and mostly Daryl, but we were also talking about... We did a little bit on Beth. I think not quite enough, though. Uh, we don't... I mean, we don't have to talk about that this time, but we can if you want, because this time there really is kind of no theme, everybody. We're just kind of... We have a couple things people wanted to talk about from last time, but I think for the most time we're just kind of going to babble, which, if you're feeling fuzzy, I think that actually works great. Yeah, I think so too. I was I was just re I was rereading back in our texts about um, sexual predation and the way that that's viewed on the show, and I like, I, mean, I think that's a theme that we could jump off from. If oh, that's something you're interested in. Absolutely. I mean, especially with Negan. And yes. We were talking about a lot of the stuff that we've seen in the fandom that kind of makes us a little uncomfortable, because yes. there's a lot to be uncomfortable about. Um. And uh, I think, yeah, also you mentioned just kind of how people view the ship as predatory and yeah. how that that's also kind of problematic in a lot of ways. Uh, oh, yeah. And I mean, just a just a warning for everybody. Not really a warning, but an alert. Uh, we're both opinionated. So the stuff we talk about, just our opinions. I'm not like I'm not personally trying to deliver that this is gospel. So if you disagree with me or with Molly, like, don't worry about it. This is just we're just spouting off about our own stuff. So. Um, one of the things that people were really interested in that we, I think, only barely touched on uh, was how people talk about virginity and this relationship, which, mm. given the stuff we were talking about with asexuality, I think is super interesting for both characters. Uh, I don't remember exactly the angle we were going to come at it, but, I mean, me personally... One of the senses I get is that there's there are a lot of different feelings about how to write about this and how to take it um, with Beth and with Daryl. Uh, so, I mean, just starting with you, what are some of the ways in which you actually have written about this? Because you've come at sexuality from a lot of different angles. What are your feelings on virginity and how it works with these two characters? I think virginity is really interesting. Like, I I was actually thinking, well, obviously, but like I was actually thinking about this the other night, because I've been switching between reading liter Literatica, which is an, an 
an online erotica writing site. Oh, yeah, I know and, about it. Yeah, and reading stuff on Archive of Our Own. And I think Literotica, most of the writers that I can tell seem to be male, the vast majority of them. Whereas on AO3, it seems, at least from my perspective, I haven't seen any data, the vast majority seem to be female. Mm-hmm. And on Literotica, there's a lot more of that, oh, he feels her barrier as he enters her. Oh, no. Kind of nonsense. No. Um, and now that I switch back to AO3, and I'm re- and there's a lot less of that. Um, so I think that when you talk about virginity and fandom, a lot of it comes down to education um, and knowing, you know, the bio- biological reality versus the tropes. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that really comes into bearing with Beth and Daryl, especially considering, um, like one of the one of the fix that I I'm, I'm sorry to everyone who wants me to continue to say yes, say yes. I'm still working on it, I promise. Um, it's a fic, it's a season two fic um, that I started because I wanted to look at Daryl, looking at the story, Daryl's story, him experiencing these people, viewing himself as someone who others would see as a sexual predator because mm. of, here. I guess here we're coming to the sexual predation thing again, being that, um, you know, being sort of, lower you know socioeconomically low being just an outcast within the group um and how that compares to beth's sort of blossoming virginity which is the trope that she is in um whereas i think that what a lot what the trend i'm seeing in fandom which is something that i think you well you're one of the people who spearheaded it has been um beth becoming the more dominant partner, more experienced partner, whereas Daryl has much less experience, or if he's had any experience, it's been coerced, Mm -hmm. or it hasn't been enjoyable. Um, And so I think that's another, I'm sorry that I'm babbling again, but like, I think, yeah, I I think, I think that, you know, you can talk about virginity as biological, you could talk about it as, you know, in penetration versus outside stimulation, whatever, but there's also the idea of consensual versus non-consensual virginity um which i just thought about right just now because if you view you know if you take the head canon which i personally have that daryl is demisexual and any or most at least of the sexual relationships he's had in the past have perhaps been coerced by merle or he's forced himself into it not even really relationships yeah, yeah, sexual encounters, I guess. Yeah, you know, yeah. like what like what does that what does that mean if his relationship with Beth becomes sexual? What does that mean in terms of you know, what does that mean for him? You know, it's it's he's biologically he wouldn't be a virgin, but emotionally I think it's much different. So you know, with all of that, there's already plenty to take away from the fact that virginity is very complicated. Um and that's that actually I think a lot of the way that I viewed virginity changed a lot from reading All the Years for a Song, um, because I think that was a major theme in that story, was that virginity is not, you know, heterosexual virginity is not penis and vagina. Um, it's, you know, there's a lot of other ways you can be with someone, and that, you know, the idea of losing something is not really part of that. Um, so thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. Writing that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I love that you mentioned Albiers for a song because I think that actually kind of is the that is the ultimate example of kind of how I think about this. Um, 
I, I love that you mentioned like barriers and, and the kind of this weird almost fetishization of the hymen that you can run into in a lot of a lot of fix that deal explicitly with virginity. I mean, one of the reasons why I wanted to attack that and why I love when other people do is is that I think it ties into some really ugly cultural stuff. Uh, the, the it's partly the idea that you know. I mean, I hate I hate even saying losing your virginity, but we really don't have a better kind of catch-all term for it, which I think is in itself kind of a problem. But the idea that it's almost this violent thing, that, that something is being taken from you, but that the only person who's having something taken from them is really the female partner, uh, mm -hmm. to get sort of gender essentialist. And that's really uncomfortable for me. And I mean, uh, the other the other thing, um, Abilene actually mentioned this, I think, in I forget where, but but she mentioned this and I love it. Um, uh, I think a very wide misconception. Uh, you can be, quote unquote, penis and vagina virginal and not have a hymen or have a broken mm -hmm. hymen like a exactly. lot of yeah. a lot of girls and women when they have their first you know, penetrative sexual experience. There's no hymen to break. Uh, especially if you ride a lot of horses or do anything like that. So I think it makes total sense that Beth might not even like have an intact hymen if she was going to lose her virginity, quote unquote, at, you know, at some point in the course of an actual fix. So if you're going to go into sort of the physical aspects of it, I think that, you know, it's, and I think this is especially interesting that you mentioned that about literatica where a lot of the authors are men, which I didn't know. That's, that's really interesting. Uh, the whole thing about that happening every time, that is a complete myth. Also, that there has to be blood. I mean, there really shouldn't be unless you're doing something wrong. Uh, or at least there shouldn't be a lot of it. So, so the very idea of what is physically involved is really uncomfortable for me. And I wanted to try to get away from that fetishization. And one of the things that I love about this ship is, it's yeah, it's like, it's like your headcanon of Daryl is demisexual. Even if he has had sexual experiences before, he in a lot of ways is emotionally virginal. So there is an opportunity to explore these very different aspects of what it means to be a virgin and what it means to have a first time. So you can have had sexual experiences and still have a first time because it's the first time that you've ever experienced this kind of connection. It's the first time you've ever really had sex with somebody in a sense that goes any deeper than purely the physical. And I love that we can do that with the male partner in a way that I think mm -hmm. a lot of other ships don't allow for, precisely because of what you can headcanon Daryl's uh, sexual identity as. It, it, you can do a complete gender flip here in a way that I absolutely love. Yeah, um, I, I was just thinking, as you were talking, I was thinking of, um, I finally caught up on Fall Right In by Abelina. Oh, I'm still um, caught up on I, that. God. Oh, I don't want to, I won't, I won't, it's nothing spoiler. Yeah, either, don't, but, don't. Um, in a, in a recent chapter, there was a sexual encounter between Beth and Daryl, and I, it just reminded me of one of the reasons why I love her writing. Um, it's very similar to the reason why I love your writing, is the fact that the sexual, it's, the, there's no real barrier between the, the sexual and the emotional in the mm -hmm. way that these characters interact. And, you know, all of their sexual experiences, it's, um, I like, I was, to be, um, academic about it. I was reading um, a book that talked about the difference between um, the sublime and the sacred and the sublime being mm. sort of a, a secular version of the sacred. And I think that that kind that, you know, you call it like a religious experience, but it does feel like almost a sublime experience the way that 
some writers, you and Abelina, I think for me are the two best at it that write these characters reaching these just moments of extreme joy, just in not just in, you know, sexual pleasure, the way it's been commodified and, you know, codified and turned into this, uh, you know, weapon against um, the vulnerable very often, even if it's in an equal relationship, just the way it's talked about, as you mentioned. Um, I think that, you know, writing these characters as being, um, having that sort of ability to reach that sublime moment um, where, you know, the, it tra- almost transcends the physical and it transcends the emotional. It becomes the two tied together. Um, I just, I just think that's really interesting because I've never, before this fandom, I've never read or seen anything that did that before. And I'm, that's actually something that could be interesting to talk about is why is it with these characters that that becomes so important. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I think, I think again, it, it, so much of it comes back to the idemisexuality, which, you know, if you're, if you're following that through, would mean that, that Daryl can't really experience, you know, full sexual attraction to somebody until he already has that emotional bond. So if that's how you're interpreting his character, any fully consensual, enjoyable sexual experience for him, I feel like almost is going to be more emotional than physical. Like it's mm-hmm. going to be more about the emotional connection and it's going to be more about, about joy and about feeling safe with this other person. And I mean, how I personally had excuse me, had canon him is that it's, it's almost more about, he's more focused on what he's doing for this other person. And he's, it's not that he's not enjoying it, but that's just not really, like something that I, I, I think I've written in multiple different fics is, is where he actually, like he's experiencing pleasure, but he's also completely forgotten himself. He's just not focused on it at all. He's sort of vaguely in the background aware of it, but that's just not where any of his focus is. And all of the core of his focus is how emotionally happy he is to be able to do this for somebody else. And yeah, yeah. you, you can do that in a way that I think you can't in a lot of other shifts. Yeah, and I think that as in terms of talking more about death, which is something like I do, I do want to consciously try to do in this episode. Um, I think that it's interesting thinking about her as a character because I think that, for one thing, I think that one the, the reason why they work so well together is because they're so similar, despite their you know physical outward differences. Um, and I think that for her, I think she is just the kind of person who takes in at least as the way I see her, she is the kind of person who takes in experiences in a more pure way than most of the people around her. And I'm basing that mostly on the opening scenes of still, especially Mm. the moment where you see her picking up that beetle or butterfly on her finger. Yeah. And just having that little moment, especially contrasted with the very, um, Oh, what's the word? Like, not tac- not tactical, um, but um, like very um, functionalistic shots of Daryl skinning the snake, which is also extremely an extremely sexual shot, um, which is one of the reasons why I love Still. I've already made a gift set of how of many moments that can be considered sexual in that episode, yeah, and I just love it. Um, but getting back to this, um, I think that just contra- contrasting the way that Beth is looking at nature versus the way Daryl is looking at nature in that moment. And in that montage, they're both doing these actions that are they're doing for survival. Beth is also, you know, getting the campsite ready. She's using these objects she's scavenged 
she's not being useless. She's not just wandering around looking at butterflies, whatever. But the fact that she takes this moment to pause and, you know, look at this thing in nature that seems to be beautiful to her, um, I think you could translate that to her experience of sex also being sort of an emotion, an emotionally heightened experience versus the way that another character, another ship might take it. Um, especially when it comes to Daryl, because I think that their relationship, um, and this is, a, this is something I'm trying to get at and almost fine. Um, and that I think a Belina also mentioned in one of her fics or got, you know, mentioned this notion is that they're not just lovers or partners. They're also family. Mm. Um, and the that you know the question of what that means exactly when it comes to a sexual relationship is you know obviously up for debate but i think that there's that deeper connection that runs through it is that they're not just connected as partners for survival or as sexual partners looking to pleasure each other they're also family members in the sense that they will be there for each other no matter what so i think the fact they connect on so many different levels um you know, is one of one of the reasons why they perhaps have these intense sexual moments in fic. God, there's just so much there to unpack. <laughs> I, I love that you mentioned still. I mean, we could we could just babble about that for like two hours. But yeah, those. Oh, I never I never really thought about that as a really direct connection before. But yeah, that opening montage. God, that episode's so fucking good. <laughs> that that opening montage is. God, there's so much packed into it, and there's no dialogue. But there's there's so much there about about character, and I absolutely love that scene. I think it's a ladybug, which is interesting yeah. for a whole lot of you know a whole lot of uh, symbolic reasons. Uh, if, if it you, also connects back to um, Herschel's song for her. He's when she's yeah. um, recovering from her suicide attempt, but he's like doodlebug, doodlebug, go away home. Yeah, um, which isn't a ladybug, but you know you think of a ladybug when you say doodlebug, so that's interesting too. Yeah, yeah. There's, I think. It, this, we didn't really get a chance to see a whole lot of this, but but she has... I don't know if she has a relationship with nature that that is explicit enough to really go deep into, but she has a relationship with detail in a way that Daryl kind of does too, actually, I think. But but if you if you look at her face when she's picking up the ladybug, it's... I, I love... God... Sometimes I think Emily's acting is great, and sometimes I think she doesn't quite hit what she's aiming for. But her acting in that scene is unbelievable because she manages to completely capture this sort of... It's almost this kind of... It, it stops short of delight, but she's just so happy to be holding this ladybug in that moment. It's like she breaks out of this just routine survival thing that she's going through, which Daryl is still stuck in. And, and she sees a detail, and she appreciates that detail in and of itself. She doesn't need any reason for it. She just loves that it's there and she loves that she's being part of it. And that for her is part of, it is part of survival. And we're getting away from sex here, I think, but that's fine because it ties back into her character completely and we don't have to t talk about sex. Um, it, it also really ties into, I think, the scene in Slabtown where she's talking with Edwards about art and about how important art is. Because, I mean, when you think about what art is, and I think Gimple was really consciously, you know, because he wrote, he wrote that scene, I think he was very consciously trying to get at that. Art has no purpose other than to be art. It, it, there, is no, there is no practical reason for art to exist. 
but it's so important. And it's the kind of thing that somebody would look at in the zombie apocalypse and say, there's absolutely no reason for there to be art. It's stupid. Nobody should be focusing on it. And she's saying, no, no, these, these little details that are so important in and of themselves, those are the things that make you human. And if you lose that, then you're surviving. But what's the point? Like, why are you even bothering? There's really nothing to survive for. And, and I think, you know, if we, if we want to drag that back to how she emotionally, I think, and, and, and physically would deal with sex, it, it, it comes down to appreciating what's going on in and of itself. And one of the reasons why I love being able to write that is, is that this is almost kind of the way I think people fetishize virginity in some ways, how people fetishize orgasms, because there are so many other ways to do things that don't involve that at all. And I feel like a sexual experience for her would be about everything. It would be about experiencing every form of sensation. It wouldn't be all to one specific goal, and then that goal happens, and then we're done. And the experience isn't about anything other than that goal. And you can you can write that with a lot of other characters. I don't think there's anything about any specific character that, for the most part, that would preclude that. But I think that how she deals with the world itself opens up that possibility in so many cool ways. Yeah, and I think also the way that she becomes sort of this place of connection within a community. Um, this gets away again from sex a little bit, but as you were speaking, I was thinking of that moment in, I don't know what episode it was, but it was somewhere in, in season three where she's singing in the prison. Right. And, she, you know, also the first episode of season three where she's singing in the prison yard and she becomes the same way she does in Alone. She becomes this just focus, this intense. The way that she she can focus on the world very intensely, but also the world focuses very intensely on her, um, and it turns its gaze on her both in in the hospital and in a surveillance sense, and also the family sort of coalescing around her and her being this care center, this her being the center of art, like you said, this this entity that I'm sorry, I don't know why I start tearing up when you start talking about art oh being just. You know, I'm like, I don't know why I'm tearing up about that, but it's like, it's, it's true. Like, um, you know, this, this whole argument that she's the girl, that she's just another dead girl. She's a girl that shouldn't survive. It's the same thing you're saying about art is that there's no place for it in a post-apocalyptic world because, you know, you can't, um, you know, unless you're lighting a fire, what's painting going to do for you? But at the same time, these are, these moments where Beth is creating art are some of the most profound in the series. Um, are you okay? Yeah, sorry. I'm fine. <laughs> no, I'm just like, I'm like, I'm like close to tears. Um, well, it's emotional. It's very, it's very emotional. Oh, um, but yeah, I forget what we were talking about. But anyway, just, I think that, I think that you're totally right about this, her being this, dead girl who shouldn't have let's like i mean put it on the table that we are both team defiance and that we both think she's alive yeah. and even if she isn't it's i think that doesn't um that doesn't negate the impact that her character has on the show so like in my mind i'm pretending like she's still alive um and that's symbolically how i'm going to see her because i think even if she is never back on the show, she's still there within our consciousness. So then it's, you know, it's still relevant to talk about her this way. I think that her survival, even surviving up to the point that she did survive, um, 
shows that art has a place and the fact that it becomes very meta when you think that the walking dead itself is a form of art and a form of definite escapism um especially you know how apocalyptic the genre of apocalypse always comes up when there's some sort of social unrest or social um tension due to some sort of disaster that happened in the real world um and we've seen that with the spate of apocalyptic films after 9-11. Mm-hmm. And I think that The Walking Dead is definitely part of that. Um, so, yeah, I don't really know where I'm going with this. <laughs> but, you know, it's, I think the, the meta-ness of her becoming this embodiment of art within a work of art that's meant, that at the same time, that even as it's meant to be escapism, for, as we saw in the first episode of season seven, perhaps veers into a place where you don't want to escape to. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Can you get anything out of what I just said? Oh no, 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 absolutely. I, I, I mean, this is you know I have I, I, I yell about this a lot, and I have very strong feelings about what kind of story this is. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, even even if Beth actually is dead, that doesn't mean that all of the parts of her story that go into this, that doesn't mean that that isn't still true and valid. I mean, I think that those were, those parts of the story, that was the message, that that art is worthwhile, that beauty that exists for no other purpose than to be beautiful is worthwhile, that that the people who say this is useless and we should abandon it because we're in a survival situation, that those people are wrong, that they're kind of missing the point. Uh, It's one of the reasons why I like to think of this as almost like a subversive apocalypse narrative, because it's completely, in some really subtle ways, and I think most of the audience misses, it's completely undermining a lot of how people usually talk about it. And and one of the things that, this is where I think Beth and Daryl are really similar in some really cool ways, that that again, I think are not obvious unless you start really digging deep. One of the things that I love most from season five, I mean, obviously we both both have a lot of really strong negative feelings about a lot of season five, but one of the things I love most about season five, and I think that Beth is very present in this scene, even though she's actually not physically present and everybody in the scene thinks she's dead, is where, and it's one of those moments where I feel like Gimple is giving the comics the finger and it's awesome, where Rick delivers the We Are the Walking Dead speech, which, you know, uh, have you read the comics? No, I haven't. Good, don't. But in the comics, <laughs> in the comics, uh, Rick delivers this speech, and it's the speech, and everybody's like, "Oh, Rick, you're so right," and nobody argues. And Rick delivers a speech in in the show, and Daryl's like, "No, like fuck that. No, you're completely wrong. Like there is a hard separation between us and and the Walkers. We are we are not only are we different, but we have to remain different. And I think that." Where that's coming from, that's where you really see that even though Beth is dead and even though he's falling apart as a human being, that's, that part of her is still in him. Because I don't know that he would have said that before she came into his life, or at least I don't know that he would have pushed back against Rick. Yeah. Because his relationship with Rick is not submissive, but he usually doesn't, he doesn't usually speak up against the stuff that Rick says. Certainly not with that much force. And that's a place where he's saying these things that he's not explicitly saying, you know, we have to love beautiful things for the sake of beauty, but they kind of go into that when he fixes the music box. Mm -hmm. You can see so much of, of, I think, what she represents in his character immediately after Coda, that even though he's just completely grief-stricken, he's holding on to those things. And she does represent so much of that, and I think that you see her effect on his character in that way more deeply 
uh, excuse me, more deeply than you see it, no other character has affected him like that. At all. I mean, I honestly... You know I love Carol, and I think that her effect on him is really profound, but I don't think that we can see the same kind of direct line between her and him, or between Rick and him, in, in that kind of completely transformational way. And I absolutely love it. Yeah, I think I think that the big di- for me at least the big difference between the Rick Carol it's I think like for me like I ca- categorize Rick and Carol in the in, in terms of influencing Daryl in very similar ways and that they are ways for him to you know not be as asocial as he was before he, they are bringing him into part of the family but with both of them it's more it's much more subtle it goes across several seasons and mm-hmm. that you know we see the progression of their relationship. Whereas with Beth and Daryl, they, you know, they know each other since season two, obviously, but then the time they have alone together, much like it is for Michonne and Rick when they're on the road together with Carl, I think it's a time when, and with Maggie and Sasha, to be fair as well, I think that those weeks or months that they were alone together become this, you know, again, a, almost a sacred experience for Daryl, this like little bubble of time where he goes through such extreme growth that you know i don't know what would have happened if, if, with any other character um if he were with, were with carol she's all you know she and daryl are both there I, I agree with you i think that they have a very profound relationship i think also that they're too similar they're both very interior characters yeah. and i think that if they had been stuck together they would have been you know, sitting on the each side of the fire and not talking, or if they yeah. were talking, talking about how they were going to survive, um, and both interior interiorizing their pain, which we see Carol doing a lot of. Um, I have, you know, to be I haven't watched the show in a while, um, but I do know that Carol internalizes. That's been her a arc. Huge amount, basically. Of, you know, yeah, her her arc is her internalizing all of the you know the the killing and the awful things that she's done, um, and I think that that. You know, if she and Daryl had been stuck together, they're but but that's what they do, both of them. He internalized his guilt over Herschel, and she internalized her guilt over killing um, Karen and David, and that's the difference between his relationship with her and his relationship with Beth. Is that I think he sees a lot of him. He sees him. He definitely sees himself in Carol, but I think with Beth, it's like he it's she draws out of him the parts that he doesn't know was there. Because that's the kind of person she is, is that she, she's she's a very interior-looking person, but that she also reaches out to other people. She's a caregiver, but she's also very self-aware of herself. I don't know. Where, I'm sorry. I don't know where no, I'm no, going. No, no, no. I told you, babble, um, but, babbling is good. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I think that. Um, yeah, I think that that's really the reason why they're special to me is that she brings these things out of him that he didn't again again I'm tearing up. It's like it's like he didn't even know he's you know, what however old he is, thirty five, forty five, he's been living his life for, you know, into adulthood, not knowing that these parts of him were there. Um and then just this, you know, little teenager comes forward and because of the force of her personality, um and I recently saw on my dash that incredible scene from Buffy from season two of Buffy the Vampire Slayer where um, Angel 
or Angelus, whatever, the evil dude, is taunting her, being like, you have no family, no Oh my friends, god, I no love that scene. No weapons, exactly. No weapons, you know, you have nothing left. And he's about to kill her, and he's, she stopped him. She's like, no, I have me. And I think that Beth is very similar in that way, in that she has a very strong sense of self, even if she doubts herself, even if, as I think, the most profound impact that Daryl has on her is that he makes, you know, he allows her to believe in herself. I think that she has a very strong core of selfhood um, that she doesn't need other people to sort of feed into that. And I think that's why she survives so well in the hospital, um, why she doesn't fall apart there and why she survives up to this point. Yeah. That went totally off message. I don't no, know where no, I'm no. going in that. No, but, no. Um, I, uh, again, like I think... I think this should be as free form as possible. And something else that I think we should feel free to do is to, to talk about the show in general, because I don't think you can really mm -hmm. talk about these characters without talking about everything else, everything around them. And I love how you, I love how you differentiate between kind of what it would have been like for Carol and Daryl in that position versus what it would have been like for, for Beth and Daryl, because I mean, absolutely. Uh, one of the things that I think has been so, so tragic about season six, uh, is that you see them completely pulling apart. I mean, Daryl's in, like, one of the worst, except now he's in even worse, but at that in that point in season six, especially in 6B, he's, because in 6A he's actually doing a little bit better until he meets up with Dwight, but he is in the worst place that he's been since right after they run from Atlanta, and maybe even worse, because, you know, he's digging Denise's grave after she's killed, and he's drinking. And that's actually the only time I think we've seen him drinking, except in Still. Uh, he and, does have a glass well, of wine. Sorry. At the CDC also. But that was very different. Uh, that was celebratory. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was different. I, I mean, I'm thinking t drinking in a destructive way. Because he also has a glass of yeah, wine yeah. when he's having dinner with Eric and Aaron. But that's, oh my God, that's yes. completely different. Um, <laughs> but but he's, he's, he's drinking to get drunk when he's digging that grave. Yeah. And Carol is right there with him. She's seeing it happen, but at that point, she's in a really bad place, too. And not only does she not give him any support, but she leaves. And yeah. that's awful. But I think that that says so much about the difference between his relationship with them. And you see something similar with Rick. I mean, Rick has no idea how to deal with him in sex. Rick, Rick thinks they should go on this really shitty road trip. I mean, that's what he thinks he should do to cheer up his best friend. And, and Daryl's just clearly having none of it and being like, why are you putting music on the radio? Do not fucking do that. Um, and then it ends up being the worst road trip ever anyway. And so Rick has no clue. He's a bad friend. Carol's completely unable to support him. But one, I mean, one of the things that I love about how things happen in Still, and, and to a degree, Inmates. I think Inmates is a very interesting kind of preamble to what happens in Still. Uh, yeah, Beth, even at, in one of her worst emotional places, because she's also hitting a low beyond anything we've seen, except uh, during 18 Miles Out. Um, and obviously when she comes out of that, she's stronger. And then we see her develop from there. But, but she's in a very bad place, too, after the fall of the prison, and she still is able to drag him out of it because she's able to fight her way out of himself. And I don't think that any other character probably would have been able to do that in that way. And in such an unexpected way, and that's one of the other things I love about this ship, is it makes sense once it happens. But until it happens, it's just, it's a complete odd couple. You never would have, it's a crack ship. You, you never would have expected this to happen. It shouldn't happen. 
it's out of nowhere in a lot of ways. But then when it happens, it just makes so much sense because of how these characters work together. Is that? Yeah. 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 Oh no. Yeah. I was just gonna. I was just gonna say that. Um, it's. I love that you bring up the way that Daryl and Carol are dealing with Daryl's. What, what did I say? The way that Carol and Rick are dealing with Daryl's emotional pain. Um, because I think that's a theme that we see throughout the show. And I think that this, one of the reasons why this show attracts me so much and why even if they killed Beth in this awful, shitty way, I think like the show does a lot of things wrong. It does a lot of wrong to black men. It does a lot of wrong to women. It does a lot of wrong to many things. But the way it deals with trauma and the way it shows the effect of trauma on people and how they suffer through it differently or live through it differently. Um, I would prefer that terminology. I think that Mm -hmm. that is really the show's strength. And you see that I I don't think that it makes Carol or Rick lesser people for the fact that they can't help Daryl. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I don't think you were intimating that either, but I think that um, it's just the way that they, deal with it the same way that maggie dealt with the fall of the prison and losing her father by by focusing on one thing at a time saying i know where glenn is i don't know where beth is i know where glenn went so i'm gonna go find him and so that's how she deals with things is that she picks a goal and she goes after it and i think you know that's exactly what she does after glenn is killed is she says that you know she pushes away everything else and she picks a goal she says you have to go fight him um and you know rick deals with it by being rick uh-huh. um Car- carol deals with it by you know retreating into herself and i think that that's one of the tragedies of trauma is that it causes people to isolate themselves um in most cases but with beth it doesn't quite do that and i think that if you look at the walking dead as a story of how people deal with trauma um, you see Beth, after she goes through this horrible trauma of, you know, trying to kill herself, she does come out of it stronger. But I think you could also use the word she comes out of it not isolating herself yeah. in the way that others have come out of these traumatizing events. Um, because she become, again, she could have, at the prison, she could have just put her head down and worked and done whatever. But instead, she became Judith's caregiver. She became part of the community. Um, and yeah, I just think, I think that Rick and Carol's inability to help Daryl also shows their way of working through, honestly, the intense PTSD they've been exposed to for the past two years. Oh God. Yeah. Um, that's been unrelenting. Cause like I was, I was thinking, like I was looking at my folder of, you know, episodes on my computer and I was just like, we're at season seven of this show. They've been going through seven seasons of this, these awful, terrible things and thinking about every single awful thing they've gone through. The fact that, you know, any of them are still alive and functioning human beings at this point is incredible. It's almost unrealistic. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Yeah. I think that, you know, like we, we, we say that Rick is going down the rabbit hole, but like he should have been there like a long time ago. Yeah. Well, if this were a more realistic show. Well, I mean, and, and, and one of the things that I absolutely love about, about Rick is that, and I, I think I've talked about this before, he, he's faking it. He's, ab- you know, every, every second he's functional, he's completely faking it. Um, and that, I think, 
that's that's he's doing it almost more intensely than I think most of the other characters. When they start falling apart, it's not that they embrace it, but they don't completely beat it back the way Rick does. And Rick just he I mean it's it, it's the core of the We Are the Walking Dead speech. He undergoes trauma. He just beats it down and he keeps going. And that is highly destructive. And I think the show is really clear about the fact that that's not sustainable. And I think one of the things that, one of the areas in which you really see it is right now. Because, I mean, I, I know you're not really watching very closely, but I do know that you're aware of what's going on. And what he, what's going on is just he's completely buckled and he's given up. And it's really sad. It's also really infuriating because Michonne's the only one who's holding it together, aside from, you know, Sasha and Maggie, but they're not at the ASC right now. Uh, also, Aaron is, is holding it together and is amazing. Uh, of but he is. I, I love it. But, um, but Rick, <laughs> Rick just can't. Rick, he makes like he can handle it, but he can't handle it. He, he, he just pretends things are fine when they aren't fine. And again, I think that's one of the reasons why he sees his best friend, you know, this guy who said, you're my, he, he said, you're my brother to this guy um, in one of the best scenes ever. And, and he sees that, you know, the, his best friend is just at the lowest point he's ever been. He's just unbelievably depressed. He's barely functioning. He's just taking, you know, everything day to day and just doing, keeping his head down and doing what's in front of him and nothing else. And he thinks, let's have a road trip. And, and it's just like, Rick, you, you're the worst friend. And it's not, it's not just that Rick is not good at reaching out to somebody in pain. It's that Rick has very little emotional self-awareness. He doesn't actually know how much pain he's in. And mm. that makes him uniquely unsuited to, to, to help Daryl at all. Like I think about if, if Rick and Daryl had gotten out together, uh, honestly, I don't think that would have worked well either. I think they would mm. have been, you know, if Daryl had still been in that really dark place and Rick had also been in a really dark place, but differently because, you know, Rick is just a different guy. They would have been completely unsuited to help each other because neither of them are able to. I mean, I, I love that you, you, you talk about how Beth comes out of that trauma of, uh, you know, going catatonic and then trying to commit suicide. Um, she comes out of that. She's tougher, but not in a scar tissue way. It's like she, she's gone through trauma. So she understands trauma. Yeah. And she, I mean, she literally shuts down when she's catatonic. She's not in, like, she's gone so interior that she's literally not responding to physical stimuli. Like she is not in the world at that point. So I think that that means that she's equipped more than more than almost any other character on the show, I think, to look at somebody who's completely shut down and completely pulled into themselves and know how you need to reach that person and how you... One of the things I love about her strength that I think nobody, not nobody, but very few people appreciate is that she's kind of ruthless. Like it's not that mm. she's, it's not that she's unkind and it's not that she's merciless, but she sees a wall like that and she just batters her way through it. And she doesn't give a fuck how, you know, how fast Daryl's trying to rebuild it. She's not going to let him, she's not going to let him keep her out. And it's that, it's that kind of gentleness coupled with ruthlessness that he needs so much in that moment. And that I think nobody else could have provided. And that's, Absolutely. that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think when you, when you were talking about Rick and, you know, Rick and Daryl and their differences, I think that also goes back to, um, Okay, this is deviating a lot from the Bethel theme of the show, but I think and maybe it isn't. I don't know. Um, but it goes back to what you were saying about this this show being, you know, undermining a lot of apocalyptic or, you know, action genre um, tropes is the character of Rick is, you know, he's the header, the center of the show. He's the hetero white male 
hero type who is supposed to be the one who is always strong has the you know he has his breakdowns but he comes out you know waving the flag and mm-hmm. being a Mel Gibson whatever um I, I saw independent I saw Patriot on the fourth of July so I'm just thinking of that flag waving moment after you know his sons die I actually haven't like, seen it but I, I can oh, imagine I'm, what you're talking about. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's just just like the, the flag waving moment, of, you know, flinging himself into death and being like, anyway, he's the white hetero male character who is built on the backs of everyone else's weaknesses. And then this season, which is something I did make a post about, which I know you saw. Right, I um, loved it. Yeah, I, I when I thought of it, I was just like, whoa, this is crazy. No, it's completely like the, right. Thank you. Um, but like the way the gender dynamics has shifted and it, it would be so interesting to see Beth in the middle of the shift um, is the fact that Negan comes in and his, he, you know, season two, the conflict between Shane and Rick was all about dick size. Like, that's how I always talk about it. Yeah, that's I love how it. I but think yeah. About it. Yeah. Uh, sorry. What, what were you saying? I, I mean, I love I love that conflict in a lot of ways because of sort of brother dynamics. But it's also it's it's really kind of uncreative and boring in that respect as well. Yeah. It's yeah. About and I, 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 yeah. And I think that it wouldn't have been for I thought it was very compelling, too. And I don't think it would have been as compelling if John and Andy weren't such brilliant actors. Yes. Um, but I think that, you know, the reason you know, Negan comes in and he has a bigger dick than Rick does. He, his entire character is that he is a gigantic dick making <laughs> dick jokes, yep. swinging a dick wrapped in barbed wire. Yep. Like, and it's not even there's, subtle. It's, there's no subtlety to the fact that he is this phallic figure of power that Rick is just like, he falls apart in front of. Negan is this figure of hyper-masculinity that Rick's masculinity cannot handle. Um, and this is not to, you know, negate or to diminish the trauma that Rick goes through of losing, you know, Glenn and Abraham that horrific way. But, you know, just the way the tropes, if you think of the characters dispassionately and you think of them as tropes, you think of it as this, you know, Rick's masculinity is gone. Service was basically... An entire episode of Negan saying to Rick, you are my bitch. I mean that in a pejorative way. You know, you, it was completely emasculating. And it's so interesting to see that on the other side, the women who in traditional apocalyptic form would be, you know, or Freudian form, whatever, are already emasculated. They're mm-hmm. the ones who are stepping up and have the resilience to say, like, you know, I don't care how big your dick is. Like, you know, we're still going to take you down. Um, so having those, seeing the cracks in Rick's character, I think, is one of the reasons why he's one of my favorite characters. Um, also comparing Dar- him and Daryl is really interesting because with Rick, you see him drawing his strength from characters like Glenn and Abraham, who are very strong men, able leadership. Whereas Daryl, when he is at his low points. He finds his strength in people like Beth, people like Aaron, people like Denise, people who, you know, in a survival situation, you might not necessarily turn to for immediate support um, in the apocalypse. But they're the people who he finds value with and comfort with. Um, And I think that those two versions of masculinity are really interesting. Yeah, well, and and, and also 
one of the reasons why I'm I'm going I'm so sad that Glenn is gone, but I also kind of understand why they took him out of the picture. Although they wish I, I wish they had not done it that way, is that Glenn is actually kind of one of those people too because yeah he's you know he's physically capable he's 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 not one of the big fighters but he's clearly good at fighting, but he's also so kind, and yeah. he's one of the characters who I mean he's he's very Beth like I think in that he uh, he views kindness and support and, and, and being emotionally supportive to other people and family, he views that as the most important thing. It's not who has the biggest dick and it's not who's the toughest person and who has the biggest gun. It's, it's, it's loving people. And I wish so much that we had seen more of Daryl and Glenn because I, I think that their relationship is, is from early on, it's kind of at the core of the show in some ways because Glenn is like the first guy who's ever kind to Daryl. Everybody hates Daryl in season one because Daryl's a dick. Daryl's this racist asshole, but you know who yells and, and throws things around because he has no other way of emotionally engaging with anybody. Every, with anybody, but but Glenn, although Glenn is clearly irritated by him, Glenn is also like you know, you're not such a bad guy. You're an asshole, but we're stuck together, and and you know I I think your intentions are actually kind of fundamentally good and. Yeah, Glenn is like the first character he really connects to, and I think in that respect, Glenn is almost sort of a preview of Beth, because mm. Glenn is Beth before Beth shows up, and then Glenn continues to be, you know, Glenn. But but I don't think I don't know that that I almost don't know that Daryl would have had quite the same relationship with Beth without Glenn, because Glenn kind of introduces him to this idea of, you know, people will just be kind to you and they don't expect anything in return. They don't want anything from you. They're kind to you because they think of you as a family. And in fact, I think that Glenn is the first person who calls him family, which is so important. <laughs> oh my God, uh, it's one of the reasons why I hate when people pit them to get pit them against each other. Because why would you ever fucking do that? But but yeah, Daryl. That's that's where Daryl finds his strength. I think you see it so much in Still and Alone, and I don't think you would have seen it after that if it weren't for those two episodes. And one of the things that absolutely is killing me about him this season, and I think it, it also really situates him interestingly in the whole gender dynamics, is that he's sort of emasculated because of what Negan's done to him. You know, putting him in, basically making him wear a stupid potato sack, and he hasn't showered in like three weeks, and he, you know, he's eating dog food, and he's mopping up people's piss, and he's just, he's completely degraded. But there is that, you know, there's that wonderful moment where... Uh, you know, he's looking at Dwight, who's completely caved and, you know, is Negan's stooge. And he's saying, you know, I understand why you did this, but, you know, you were thinking about somebody else. You were trying to protect Sherry. I'm not going to do what you did because I'm thinking about someone else, too. And everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people were like, he's thinking of Beth. And no, I don't think he was. I think he was thinking about Glenn. But I also think that he's doing the same thing that he does with people like Beth, where he's thinking about these the strength of these people is in their kindness and their support. And if I don't stay strong for them, regardless of what's being done to me, then I've betrayed them in some way. So in that moment, I don't think he's thinking about Rick because I don't think Rick fills that place for him. I think that it's people like Beth. And I think that Beth kind of remains the archetype or she's sort of the ultimate example of that. And it's one of the reasons why I think that she's still very much around, even though she's been gone for like two seasons at this point. She's still such a core element of the whole theme of the show in that way. And honestly, it's one of the reasons why I don't think she's gone. I just don't think that her being gone the way she ended up, you know, being killed fits the theme of the show right now, which is that 
the people who you would never expect to survive are the people who survive. Rick is ultimately actually kind of a weak man. He, I love him, but he's really not very strong in, in the core. His strong is all outward kind of structure, but there's really no foundation there. His, he finds his foundation in other people. But, but people like Beth, people like Denise, people like Aaron, people like Glenn, they are the foundation. And that's not where most apocalyptic narratives would put a foundation. It's almost always in people like people like Rick and also people like Negan, if you want to kind of look at it from a villainous perspective. I love that they're doing that right now. I know. I think, yeah, the, the critique that's going on this season, um, I, look, as I said, I haven't been watching, but just, he, you know, here, the, even just seeing the broad sweeps of it um, has been pretty magical. Um, and, like, I, I hate what they're doing to Rick because I love Rick as a character, but as a genre, as a trope, it's just so beautiful to see him have no, have no idea what to do. And Michonne just being like, dude, get your act together. Um, and I just, I, and that's what all the women seem to be doing this season. Um, not, I mean, that, you know, it's, it seems to be, well, I mean, honestly, out of the group, Rick is the only, like, manly man left, I think, as far as, it feels to me like Eugene and Aaron are they the only two other men still uh, left in the group? I mean, I don't think... Yeah, we're not going to count Spencer because he's not... Yeah. Too, and also fuck Spencer. Uh, but, yeah, uh, it's... Yeah, it's Eugene and... Yeah, that's really kind of it. I yeah, think, unless so he, I'm completely forgetting something. I mean, there's Morgan, but Morgan's off with Carol and he's not really in the same... He's not in the same plot line right now. Yeah, and there's also Father Gabriel. But, like, you mm-hmm. have... I mean... And who is, you know, becoming cooler, but he's not like a fighting type character. Um, but you have, there's really no one else, no other male ego to break down or, or, you know, classic with quotes, male ego to break down. And so when you have Rick shattering like this, the entire mass heroic masculinity of the show is breaking down. And you see the people who have the real, who have in this universe or, you know, who have the real fortitude are coming forward. Um, and like you said, I think that's an environment where Beth can step into very strongly um, because she, you know, when even all the way back in season four, when Rick wasn't struggling, like he's struggling now, um, or he wasn't at this low point, she was already that archetype mm-hmm. of being, you know, this person who is not meant to survive, but is going to keep going anyway. And I think that's what we're seeing this season as well with everyone except for Rick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think uh, a lot of us in sort of the, the TD squad, although we're not the only ones have, have, have kind of talked about how when you go back to the beginning of, of season four and 30 days without an accident, this kind of all gets set up there. This all, this whole theme really starts with the beginning of Gimple's tenure and it's kind of been the story since then. It, it didn't just start with this season. It's just, I think it's becoming most piercingly apparent in this season. I think it's kind of all been building to this, but, but yeah, it's, you see in so many situations where things completely fall apart, it's, it's, it's the women and it's sort of the outcast, not traditionally masculine characters who step forward. And that's that's again that's been going on since since the first episode of season four and it's yeah I think it's been kind of in the background and in the foreground since then in a lot of ways, but and this I, I can't, we can't keep this neutral. Um, this is one of the reasons why I think that Beth is not gone and also why I think that she 
I was I was kind of having a not an argument but sort of a debate with a friend of mine uh, the other night about this, and she was saying like I'm sorry I just don't think Beth was that important or I don't think she was important as you think and it's not that she doesn't like Beth it's just that she doesn't think that Beth is as important as we do, and I I was trying to explain and I didn't really know how to explain to her because I don't think she and I were completely interpreting the show in the same way that Beth is the most explicit form of this theme because Beth is the one who comes out and says it. It's sort of implied by their characters, and if you do, if you read subtext and, and, and theme and sort of metaphor, you can see other characters like Maggie, like Michonne, uh, like Sasha representing this, and Carol, definitely Carol. Uh, but Beth is the one who literally says, you know, you look at me and you see just another dead girl. And then in 5A, uh, she has that, and I think this is so important too, she has that scene with Noah where Noah kind of describes her by saying, people look at you and they don't actually know what they're seeing. They, you know, they don't actually understand anything about you, that we're the strong ones, and we're especially strong because people look at us and they underestimate us, which gives us an advantage because we can move behind the scenes and we can sort of, we can sort of hide in plain sight, and that gives us a survival edge that other people don't have. And again, I think that's a complete subversion of most apocalyptic narratives, and it really really chafes my ass that a lot of people don't seem to be understanding that, not least because I don't think it's even that subtle. And I think that that, I don't think that you can interpret that part of the show without understanding how, it's not that this is the Beth show, but, but Beth as a character is so, she's not the center, but I think in a lot of ways she ties a lot of that together in a way that's more explicit than any other character. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I think I do think that one of the reasons why it does remain hidden is because Noah and Beth both die. Yep. Um, yeah, you know, and Noah saying that, like, you know, he's the, you know, as you were talking about Noah saying, like, that he can hide in plain sight, he has that strength that no one has. It's also making me think of the fact that he is a black man and he yep. dies like all these other black men except for Gabriel Morgan and Ezekiel, which is wow, we have three black men on the show. Right oh no, now. So great. one of them's probably going to go soon. Yeah, yeah. Um, or at quota. Exactly, exactly. Um, so it, it's, I mean, that you know, I, I getting that gets to the very problematic aspects of the show, which I think that you know we've been talking a lot about gender dynamics. Um, I don't, I personally don't feel equipped. Um, intellectually to talk about the racial dynamics i haven't thought deeply enough into them but i think that's definitely something i want to read yeah. and know more about because i think that it's a lot easier to praise the show for what it's doing with gender than to get into what it's doing wrong with race um which is a lot yeah yeah and in fact one of the i don't remember if i was the only one but but this was, uh, like, I think, like, last year, me and Jackie uh, and a couple of other people kind of in our little squad circle were sort of talking about how Grady is pointless without Beth. Like, Beth, Grady exists for Beth. There's really no other reason for it to be there. And unfortunately, that means that Noah exists for Beth. Noah is ultimately kind of kind of a pointless character. I mean, I hate saying that, but in terms of the overall narrative of the story, he's kind of a pointless character. And in some ways, I think that's actually a bigger argument for Beth being alive, because why would he even exist? I mean, it, she didn't die to save him, really, because then he ended up not particularly being an important character, and then he dies in a really poorly justified way. And people 
got angry and called me a racist for saying that, and I was like, no, I'm critiquing the show for that. Yes, I think that this is sort of TD evidence, but I also think this is an example of something that the show does a lot and does really badly. You know, you introduce this character, and they really only exist for the purpose of another character, and then you... It's not that you fridge them because they're not dying for somebody else's pain, but their job is done, and then they die. And that happens way, way too much with black men. You're absolutely right. And again, I don't, yeah, I don't really feel equipped to talk about that in super intelligent detail, but it's definitely something that the show does repeatedly, and I would really like them to stop. So I really hope that nothing happens to Morgan, Ezekiel, or Gabriel. Please, can we just... Or Heath. Can Heath please come back, too? Heath, like, that's right. Yeah, can we, just, can we please just keep these guys safe? Because, uh, yeah, I'm really getting sick of this. And especially, yeah. honestly, if Noah was killed basically for a blonde white girl, as much as I love Beth, it's uncomfortable. Yeah, and that's that's actually how I feel. I mean, I, I didn't watch the Tyrese's death episode, um, but so I, I know that you know, a lot of people, including you, have said it's, it's a beautiful send-off. It's you know, a great episode, but, and it might just be because Beth is so central to my experience of the show and that her death was so shattering to me, but I felt like Tyrese's death was really was overshadowed yeah. by her because at least to me, thematically, it seemed as if her dying was supposed to bring the group to its low point that would, you know, that Alexandria would take them out of. But then they were like the first episode after she dies, like, nope, let's just throw in one other person. So now that they're even worse off. Yeah. Um, so to me, at least like looking at it, as some, again, as someone who's looking at it at the broad strokes and can't see the details, it felt like Tyrese is just sort of thrown in there as an afterthought, because at least, you know, Beth got Beth, even though she was if she was if she was killed off, she was killed off in a very disrespectful way. She did get a big personal arc. Oh, that yeah. no other character has gotten. And, yeah. you know, like Ty- Tyrese didn't get a personal, he didn't get a solo arc like that. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that he was not, he wasn't as thrown away as Noah was because at least we knew who he was and he had a character. And, and he got a whole episode to his death at least. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I think that we have to count him among, you know, not to mention T-Dog, who also died for a white oh, woman. Oh, God. T-Dog. Um, R.A.P. So, T-Dog. Yeah, I, I feel like I always forget about him. But then whenever I remember him, I'm just like, shit. He was, was great. Awful. I know. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, like, I want, like, he drove, like, the only thing we know about him is that he drove a church van to save people when the world was falling apart. Yeah. Like, what an awesome guy. Yeah, um, he was done an extraordinary disservice. Yeah. Um. But anyway, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know how much else I can say about that. Um, yeah, I mean, and again, we're kind of rambling, but that's fine. Yeah, and just the loss of Glenn, you know, as you know, in terms of the landscape of television and movies, and just culture in general, being the, um, I, I took a class that was, a, you know, it was about um, race in apocalyptic fiction or dystopian fiction, and we talked a lot about, you know, Asian characters as being like the model minority um and thinking about it as especially in america i think we think very much black and white is that race is about black characters and white characters um but then you know i think asian characters and other characters of color definitely get left in the middle um and so i think that glenn's death doesn't didn't get the same 
media attention in terms of his race as the black characters do. But I think it's just as important to see that, you know, we have no Asian characters left in this show. Um, Dr. S was, I think, an Indian American, but Mm -hmm. he, you know, died. I can't think of any other. I definitely can't. I can't think of any East Asian or Southeast Asian women. Yeah, Um, not at this point. You know, so... I don't know. Race is <laughs> race is a problem. Yeah, it is, and it's a problem, at least so far, with no obvious solution. I, I wish I wish Gimple was as good with race as he is with gender. Yeah, especially because I mean, like I think you know, I I did a whole paper on this that you know, um, zo- apocalypses and zombies, zombies especially, are you know, they are extremely tied to race because the you know. Not not to mention the fact that the figure of the zombie comes from a colonized perspective of Haitian mythology and Haitian folklore, right. but also because the zombie is sort of this generalized other, um, and that you know, for example, if you think about immigration, this view of like this wave of immigrants you know, coming over the wall, tearing the wall down, and invading our society. If you replace that with zombies, it's the same sort of message. Um, so zombies are already a very racialized mythological creature to be using um and so it it, it's a if a racial you know racially intelligent i don't know if that's a term but if if someone make it one yeah if a racially intelligent showrunner had a zombie show and used it to critique race it could be done very very effectively i think yeah it's, it's kind of funny you mentioned that there's a guy in my phd program who for a while made that his thing he wrote some really good essays on zombies and race i kind of want to dig them up now yeah and um yeah. i this one the book that we read in um our class on race and dystopia was by um colt colt i forget if it's colson or colton colton whitehead colson whitehead who is a black man who does um i, I think this was he's not a sci-fi genre writer um, but he wrote this zombie novel that I thought was really good. Um, Do you remember the name? That, um, zone, um, zone One, I think it was called. Um, zone Something. Okay. Um, but it was it was about a character. Well, it, this is a spoiler, but it's about a character who we don't know the character is black until the end of the book. Um, but it is about if the main character is a black male character fighting through with the zombie apocalypse. Um, and if I hadn't been working on my thesis, I would have read the book much more closely and I would have more to say about it. Um, but yeah, so I think that there are, there are major critiques that could be done through the, the genre of zombies about race. But, you know, it's been the walking dead clearly is not the place that is going to happen. Right now, at least. at least not right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, God knows how many more seasons this thing is going to run. So, yeah. Uh, just, just, yeah. Uh, just asking. How long can you talk for? Um. Well, I'm getting like really thirsty, so I don't know how much longer I can go on. But do you want to take a break and get um, some water? No, no, I'm good. Okay. Um But how long were you thinking? Well, we're at a minute and we're at a, an hour and seven minutes. So I was thinking yeah. roughly an hour and a half, hour and twenty minutes, if you think you can do that. Yeah, definitely. Okay. I mean, I do. I real. I do really want to talk about um, sexual predation. Yes, I was going to say I really at least and, want to touch on that for a bit. Yeah, especially you know that the fact the way it works with Negan. Negan, I call him Negan because I haven't been watching the show and that's why I read it. Um, but him and also the way that the fandom, the 
anti-Bethel fandom views yeah. the Bethel fandom. I think that's really important. Yeah. Oh, God, but it, like, makes me immediately angry. <laughs> so then, because you remember, like, I did this entire rant episode, and a huge amount of what I was ranting about was that, because that's really what you... There's that, and there's the age gap, and you can't really talk about the age gap without talking about sexual predation. So, God, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, oh, sorry, and it's just, ahead. it's so... No, no, no. It's just, like, it's just, it's so... Like, I mean, I, I don't know if it's the same people who are saying these things, but the people, like... Oh, I hate the term, like, those people, but those people who are saying that Negan, Negan is not a rapist because he gets... Oh, the God. women are saying yes... I'm just like, there. There's no like, oh my god. Oh, there's a there was a phrase I used. It was and to me it was really clever. But it's like I don't know. Like don't show me a, a wolf in a sheep a suit made of wool and tell me it's a sheep. Yeah. You know, it's like, cons like consent that, you know, if you're gonna die without sleeping with him, you know, there's no choice there. No. And. Yeah, and anyway, you you've seen the episodes, so you should talk about it more than I should. Well, I mean, one of the here's one of the things that, that okay, they're, everything infuriates me, but but here's one of the things that uh, I just hit the desk. That's why there was a noise, guys, in the microphone. <laughs> um, here's one of the things that really infuriates me about this, especially I think, and it's it's a, that again, the show is right now so self-aware, and it's one of the reasons why. I think in a lot of ways I've been sort of phrasing this as an anti-comic narrative because it is, it's, 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 I think it's Gimple and the other writers completely subverting the comic because I mean, okay, I don't know this and perhaps this is me being unfair to Robert Kirkman. And to be honest, I don't remember a lot of the details of the comics. A, I read them very quickly and B, I think I've actually blocked a lot of them out to protect myself because they're just so fucking bad. But uh, I never got the sense I mean, I quit shortly after Negan appeared, but I never got the sense reading the stuff about Negan that Kirkman actually understood that coercion isn't necessarily physical. That putting somebody in a position where they have to say yes, um, that's still rape. Like, I'm sorry, but it is. Sex that's coerced at all is, is rape in, in one to one degree or another. But the show is very aware of this. Uh, the show is is absolutely saying, you know, that this guy's quote unquote like honor code. It's completely dishonorable. He's a total rapist. He's all of his wives are terrorized. They've never none of them have consented to any of this. They've been, you know, yeah, they've been they've been they've been terrorized into quote unquote saying yes. And yeah, there's there's nothing good or redeemable about this guy. I think that Gimple hates him. I think Gimple absolutely despises him and is doing everything he can to present him as ultimately a pathetic figure. He's a Morton Joe. He's absolutely a Morton Joe. Absolutely. And exactly. It 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 is an. I don't know if if those people are the same people. I would love to know. There are a lot of about the demographics of this fandom that I wish I knew more about. But uh, it's yeah, it's like this complete inability to recognize that. You want to see a relationship or or a set of relationships on the show where consent is a problem. Look at this. Like, it's, you know, looking at looking at Beth and Daryl and going, you know, oh, well, that's sexual predation. It's, no, you don't understand. You, you are worryingly unable to discern consent and lack of consent. Like, you really especially, shouldn't... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I'm just going to say, especially because, A, Beth and Daryl is not on screen, is not a sexual relationship right. at all. 
And B, Daryl is a kind of character who, I, we mentioned this, I think, on the previous time that we did the show together. He would physically be unable to do that kind of sexual predation. Um, so, yeah, I'm sorry. You continue. That's just, I, I just, I think that a lot of the whole, you know, I think that fandom and canon gets conflated a lot. Yeah. Um, which is... I don't I don't know what else to say about that but anyway. No, but 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 yeah, like yeah. I think that that's that's one of the things that's really important too that honestly I think some people in in our corner of the fan kind of forget that's important is that yes, there is nothing sexual at all going on on screen. You get some hints of sort of romantic feelings, but for all you know, it you know, it might be it might be romantic but physically asexual. Like you just it could be anything at that point. It's very ambiguous. Mm-hmm. I obviously think it is building toward romance, but but sexually it's completely ambiguous because there really is none of that there. And you could you could interpret it and headcanon it and write it in such a way where it's, you know, and I think a, a few of us have in a really cool way where it is just romantic and there is absolutely no sex there. And yeah, it's it's if you're going to make these characters in canon, there can't be any sexual predation. And in fact, in terms of sexual power dynamics, it's probably going to mostly be on Beth's side. Yeah. Um, and I think also also the fact that this, you know, at least the way that I see it, this would be probably if Beth and Daryl did have a future together, it would be probably the healthiest relationship on the show. Oh, my God. Because, you know, as as much as I, I love Rick and Michonne are I love them together. I think they're incredible. But I don't think that, you know, as you've said, Rick has incredibly enormous issues. And, you know, it's not on Michonne's back to handle that. But I think that. You know, even though they do balance each other out and they're a great team, I feel like Beth and Daryl, you know, they by alone, I think they teach each other how to be a healthy couple, whether that means romantically or not. So it's just that that's one of the things that that is what makes me angry is that they have probably the healthiest romantic relationship we've ever seen on the show. And if it's romantic at all, if it's sexual at all, and the fact that that is deemed to be an act of sexual deviancy. I think is just repulsive because it doesn't only show that people don't understand how sexual dynamics work. It also shows they don't know how characters work or how relationships platonic or not work. Yeah. And that's very, I don't know. I don't know. It's It's very something. It's disturbing. I mean, like it actually disturbs me. And, and, and on the one hand, I mean, you know, you, you and I both like going to kind of disturbing places in our, in our stuff sometimes, sometimes very disturbing, but it's, so I, I kind of don't like to look at how somebody talks about something online and make judgments about what kind of people they are, because you just, I mean, you can't do that. You just, you don't know who these people actually are. But on the other hand, that's really all you've got to go on to understand who somebody even is. And when somebody displays that kind of lack of understanding about how healthy relationships work, to be honest, I worry for them. And it, it's like, do you, are you in a relationship with somebody in your actual life? And if so... Like, I, I'm a little uncomfortable even thinking about that. Like, if you have kids, what are you teaching your kids about how consent functions? Like, it's just, also, it's worrying. Yeah, and also, the you know, that, that great post that went around a while ago about how a lot of the moral policing of fandom, um, especially when it comes to fic, is, you know, basically against, you know, it's done to police women, female fantasies. Yeah. Um, I think that's something to keep in mind. But I think it's also important to make a distinction between um, fan fiction and fandom discourse, because I think personally, I think, 
you know, I've said this before and I'll say it again. I think that fan fiction is somewhere where anything can and should be explored. Um, it doesn't, you know, it, it, it could, it's, even if it's something that is morally reprehensible and the writer would not support in real life or the readers would not support in real life or it should never be supported in real life, I think that fic, there's no, there's no other place to go there, I think. Um, I think that fic is a place to play. It's a place to do those deviant things or to write about those deviant things that you know you can't bring to a writing workshop. Um, that you might not necessarily want to create original characters for. No. Um, and I think that, you know, you can write a, you can write a dead dove, don't eat, you know, dead dove, don't open fic. And, you know, still understand that, you know, maybe fucking a corpse ain't so great no, in real life. Not really. But, you know, I'm still going to write this. Um, but like when you see people talking on Tumblr saying like, you know, I person i see this deviant act as being cool that's very different because that's not art that's you know, you know like we were talking we were talking about before like art is something that's created for its own sake um and it, it doesn't necessarily reflect the person making it but the people making statements as fact um that's what worries me i think the fic is a place that these things can happen and it's divorced from reality. But anyway, no, that I was think, my own. I think, that's an inc- I think that's an incredibly important distinction. And I think that the failure to make that distinction is one of the things that the people who are really ugly about this ship and about us, it's a distinction that they're failing to make. And it's one of the things that's kind of disturbing to me. Like they're, they're looking at some of the stuff that, that we write that goes into some darker places and I mean, well, just to start with, they look at an age gap and they think predatory, which if you understand anything about these characters, I don't see any way in which you can actually do that. It just doesn't make any sense. It's 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 mm-hmm. incomprehensible if you if you're looking at these characters as they really are. But it's it's also like looking at something that we write like, you know, this isn't this isn't uh, a Beth and Daryl fic, but, you know, you just finish down to your knees which is incredibly problematic, you know, for, for getting Beth drunk to fuck her. And yeah, you know, you, you, you kind of completely switch the power dynamics in the last chapter, and it's amazing. But that doesn't mean that Rick didn't get Beth drunk to fuck her. He still did that. And, I mean, you just wanted to write about it. It's not that you were saying that this is something people should actually do in real life. And it's being able to explore things that actually destroy you because I mean when we were first talking about what we might talk about uh, in this particular chat uh, and I mentioned everything where it belongs and I mean that started out as a dead dove fic because I just wanted to let my id run wild but then of course because I can never do anything for just fun it ended up actually being kind of a serious thing and one of the things that I wanted to try to do in there is actually have a moment of sexual predation between Daryl and Beth and I did like, spoiler alert, people who haven't read it yet, he does attempt to rape her. And it's awful. And he's not in his right mind when he does that, because there was no other way for me to get him to do it. If he had been in his right mind, he never, ever, 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 ever would have done that. But it's, you know, writing that, and, you know, he, he, he because he's so, so, he's such in a bad place mentally, there's all these other things. Like, he has these incredibly violent fantasies. And 
you know, he has these incredibly possessive fantasies about Beth, and it's really toxic, and he's really dangerous for her. And I was writing about these things as awful things. Like, I, at no point in that fic am I like, oh, this is great. And I feel like these people who, yeah, these people who don't get that, who think that if you're writing about something in something, in a fic, that you must think it's great, would look at that fic where I think I'm very transparently saying, this is not okay, none of this is good, this is horrifying, and these two characters need to work through it because it's so horrifying, they would look at that and they would think that it was all, it was all good. It, I was thinking that it was all acceptable. And, yeah, I think that that's such a profound misunderstanding of what we can do with these characters and what we can do with the worlds that we construct in fan fiction. And it's, it's yeah, it, it really gets to the heart of a complete misunderstanding of these characters that just absolutely enrages me. I hate it. I know. Oh, and just... Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, and just I, I look, I look, I was trying, I'm trying, like for ever since I started this fic, like I mean, down to your knees, which I know, I know this is a, you know, as you mentioned, this is a Bethel um, podcast, but yes, it is a brick fan fiction, and it's based for people who don't read it, it's based on baby, it's cold outside. That's why the dr- the drinking thing happens. It's like you know, baby, what's in this drink? Blah blah. blah. But yeah, like Rick basically. Um, masturbates to the thought of having extremely dubious verging on non-consensual relationships with Beth and he con- he constructs one of those situations where there's no real consent given um, and I didn't write it because well, okay I wrote it because I you know domineering Rick is hot and in my head I right. knew Beth knew- knows what she's doing um, but I also just wanted again like you said I wanted to see if I could do it I wanted to see if I knew these characters or if I could create these characters in a certain way that they would do these things that, you know, I wanted to see if I could get into the head of a Rick or of a person who would do this horrible thing and then switch it around and see if that person could possibly be redeemable or if the story was redeemable. And that, you know, that's just one level of the reason why I wanted to write it. But I think that the reason why we, at least for me, and I, I'm not going to speak for you, but like I write these things because I want to understand people better. I want to understand these characters better. I want to understand these characters as they could be imagined better. It's not because I want these things to happen in the real world. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. It's This is one of the things that I think is so great about fan fiction. It's one of the reasons why it exists. It, it enables you to take characters and scenarios that are in canon and take them outside canon and you know tweak some of the settings and let them run and see what you get. And, I mean, honestly, I don't really know what else fanfiction is for. Like, that's what it is, by definition. So, I think that, you know, not to put down coffee shop AUs, but yes, you can have sort of light, fluffy, happy coffee shop AU type things, and we all want those, and in fact, in a, in a show where everybody's constantly miserable, I think we desperately need those. <laughs> but I think also, seeing how far you can stretch things, and, and you know, seeing seeing pushing the absolute limits to the point where you're almost out of character, but you're still in character just enough that they're recognizable as people. That is, that's one of the reasons why I, yeah, I personally want to do this because you can't get to that point unless you really understand who these characters are. And yeah, that's even if, you know, I end up writing things where like there were parts of everything where it belongs, where I actually like had to stop and look at the ceiling for a minute and go, I really don't want to write this. This is incredibly uncomfortable. 
but I want to write this because I think that it's worth going to this place. It's enjoyable in the sense of it's very satisfying to know that you've done that and that you've done a good job, even if you've gone to someplace really horrible. And you need to understand that in order to understand the whole purpose of fantasy. And I think that also if you want to do that, you need to understand, you need to have kind of a foundational point to move from. And I, I, I think I've talked about this too before. One of the reasons why I think that this ship is such a good place to do that and such, such, such a good foundation for that is that it is so healthy. It's yeah. like if, you've, if you feel like you've gone too far, you can retreat back to what this thing is at its heart, which is potentially the most healthy romantic relationship on the entire show. Yeah, it, it's, it, it more than any other relationship on the show allows you to do that because sexual predation is basically not possible. It, it just basically can't happen. Why don't yeah. these people understand that? <laughs> Why? I uh, Daryl's dick is in the wrong place. Oh, I don't know. No, I mean, God, yeah, that's what that basically comes down to. And that's, I mean, that's something I don't, okay, I don't like, I don't like bashing Carol people as a whole because I think that a lot of them and maybe even the quiet majority are perfectly fine. But mm-hmm. there's, you know, there's this loud maybe minority that are not fine. And they're the ones who, when they come after us, they're basically painting Daryl as a sexual predator. They're basically saying, you could not have this relationship because if you did, then Daryl would be a sexual predator. And mm-hmm. these are the same people who, you know, ship Daryl and Carol. And it's like, okay, one of these two characters is your fave. You completely don't understand him. Like, you couldn't possibly understand him any less. It's bizarre like and i you're actually also, you're also saying that if he were with a different person he would be a rapist yeah and so if if you know like be if a character could be with someone else and they would be a rapist it means he would still be a potential rapist were he with carol it doesn't change like that possibility doesn't change based on who you're with you know so it's like it's misunderstanding. It's misattribution. It's also just like denigrating the relationship they say they're in love with, um, and not not doing it in a way that's an attempt to stretch the characters to their limits. They're doing it as a way to legitimize their ship, which I have no problem with. I think that I, you know we've both talked about how we love the Carol and Daryl relationship, whether we think it's romantic or not, but there has to be a level of informed critique when it comes to talking about these characters. Um, So, yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's doing, it's doing, well, it's doing both Daryl and Beth an incredible disservice. It's doing Daryl a disservice because you're basically saying this guy is potentially a sexual predator no matter what. And that's really disturbing, but it's also really, Mm -hmm. it's, these people do feminism wrong in just every important respect. It's, it's also basically saying that Beth is just this naive little girl and, you know, she has to be in a relationship with somebody who's exactly her age or she's going to be incapable of having any kind of sexual agency and she's, she's basically going to be a victim no matter what. And it's, that's doing her an incredible disservice too because I don't think that would be true. And in fact, that's, you know, give, we haven't seen a whole lot of her in any other relationships, but... The little bit of the dynamic I got between her and Zach before Zach gets his, you know, throat ripped out. <laughs> Poor Zach. Um, couldn't in his short life he couldn't get a break. He couldn't get a kiss and then he got killed. Um, oh, baby. He, he in those couple of scenes together, I get the sense that Beth is the stronger one. 
Absolutely. He, I, he's just kind of, I, I feel like he's kind of mooning over her a little bit. And Beth is just like, whatever, you're fun. But, you know, yeah. And oh, that's, that's, I'm sorry, just that shot of her walking away. I and know. he's like, are you going to say goodbye? She's just like, nope. nope. <laughs> yeah. And then Daryl is just so tickled by it. Because in the first episode, he's a troll because he's happy and we've never seen him like that again. And it fucking kills me. But yeah, yeah, she's she is so clearly strong. And she's the implication, I think, is that she would she would have a lot of sexual agency. But if you're coming at it from their perspective, she's she doesn't have any. And not only is that completely not her character in canon, but it's really insulting. Like it makes me angry because it's so anti-feminist. And yeah, it's and, and these are also the people who are who, who, you know, who present Carol as this feminist, you know, feminist icon. And it's like, no, OK, first of all, you're denigrating Beth in a really gross way. And secondly, you're basically saying that the only important thing about this dynamic is where Daryl's dick is. Mm-hmm. And how can you get less feminist than that? Yeah. And I think that it, it takes away from Carol being a feminist icon because she I think, you know, she is. She is. She, is. she doesn't need. Daryl, she doesn't need Daryl to be one. She survived a horrific relationship. She survived the loss of her child. She survived the damn apocalypse. She's an older woman with short hair. Not older, but older than, you know, Hollywood age. Older woman with short gray hair on a blockbuster TV show. And she's one of the coolest characters who's done, who has survived some practically, you know, medically defiant things. Um... (laughs) But she does, she, yeah, but she did, she did. And she's still here. She's, you know, like Beth says, she's still here. Um, and she has potential dick flying at her from many different angles at the moment. She might be a literal exactly. queen at some point. So, you know, it, it's, you know, Carol doesn't, you don't need to make Beth weak to make Carol strong. Because Carol is strong already and Beth is strong already. Um, and that neither of them need Daryl for any of it, you know. No, no, they really don't. That's what's so. I mean, Daryl needs both of them, but neither of them need him. It's not at least not the way he needs them. And 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 I, yeah, it's just ah, oh, oh, it makes me so fucking angry. Oh, and yeah, one of the reasons why it makes me so angry is because I really love Carol. I I love. By the way, this is somewhat of a digression on on a Bethel podcast where I think yeah, some of our fandom really doesn't like Carol, which I hate, but that's still true. I love that you mentioned, and this is also kind of true of Beth, because it's just just true in an opposite direction. Yeah, Carol is of the age where, I'm trying to think of how I've I've seen this phrase, where women in Hollywood, they -hmm. disappear. It's not that they're, you know, it's not that they show up and and they're they're done a disservice, they're just not there. So, especially in an apocalypse narrative... A woman like Carol is just not around. She just, it's, it's, it's almost like people with, you know, disabilities and mental illnesses. Something, something happens and the apocalypse occurs and in a week we're all gone. Like what, what happened to us? Apparently we're just not around. And yeah, it's older women like Carol just aren't, her kind of character just doesn't exist. And it's so important that she's there. And the same is true of Beth because yeah, she's either she's a teenager or she's like 20 years old. I mean, I think personally she's like 18 or 19. She's she's almost not a teenager, but she is. And she's she's this young, not physically very strong, kind of smaller blonde girl who loves to sing. She's not the kind of person who should survive. She's the kind of character who dies quickly or is just completely pushed out of the picture, never shows up at all. 
and this show makes a place for both of them and then attaches both of them to basically the most popular character on the show besides mm-hmm. Rick. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Ugh, yeah. Yeah, it's... Ugh. you think about it i know i know know. and it's still and this is i mean this is this is sort of almost beside the point about sexual predation but this is this is maybe the thing that makes me the angriest uh beth has ostensibly been dead for two years and they're still talking Mm -hmm. about it why do they still care like it's i think i said it at one point on tumblr like you guys care about more you guys care more about (laughs) beth than i do like, because you won't let it go, and you shouldn't even care because she's dead. How is this a threat to your ship in exactly. any way? And even if she wasn't, why would you care? If your ship is so great and so canon, why would you care? Uh, is there anywhere else you wanted um, to take that? <laughs> I don't know. I just want everyone to know that Negan is terrible. <laughs> That's just what I, I need, and I'm, I'm also th- I'm also thinking like when you talk about the roles of women of certain ages, like I it would be interesting to see Carol and Negan meet up, um, and see yeah. wh- what he would make of her, um, because you know I I wrote a paper on this too, how like men see women as daughters, fuck toys, or mothers. And I think that Carol uh-huh. would fall into the mother figure for Negan. But have we seen him, have we seen him interact with any older female characters? No. Nope. So we've only seen well, we've seen him with Judith, where clearly he falls into the dad dad mode, and we've seen him with. Yeah, I think he genuinely does like her, which is yeah, creepy um, as well. Which again leads to the Immortan Joe idea of you know fam- the fa- the family squabble. Sorry, I was I was trying to imitate uh-huh. the bullet. I was trying to imitate the bullet <laughs> farmer. Um, but yeah, we're yeah, like yeah. we're Morton Joe wants ba- wants healthy babies, which is why he's you know, which I think you, you've mentioned how you're really interested in why Negan seems to want children so much, um, and I think that that's mm-hmm. really interesting too because you know, from Mor- in Morton Joe's perspective, he wants healthy children because he's found these five wives who are the pinnacle of physical perfection, and so and he's you know, covered in disgusting warts and he's just, he can't breathe without an apparatus and just genetically he's awful. Um, but whereas with Negan, he thinks clearly he's the pinnacle of human evolution. So he probably wants to just make this uber human out of himself and these beautiful women. Right. He has you know, to, he reproduce. just wants, you know, his, he wants something to come out of his dick and for it to be alive and for him to own it. Um, yeah, it's an ego yeah, thing. Yeah, completely. Um, but anyway, yeah, getting back to it, I think that it'd be really interesting to see him and Carol face off and him being like, oh, look, you know, you know, respect the, you know, like respect the lady. Don't say mean things about her. Don't mm-hmm. hit her. And then she just. Because he's a gentleman. Yeah. And then she just like slaps the hell out of him or shoots him in the face. Oh, my God. And, or just does something that shows like that. Dude, you have no idea how women work or how people work. And need this now. Oh, I, now I really want to see a showdown between them. Oh, that would be really cool. I do, well, I mean, if they, if they continue, they, I think they've renewed uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan for the next season. And if they follow the comics uh, story, they're going to go to like this giant war, which I honestly think could be co- pretty cool. So I think that the likelihood that they'll meet up at some point is actually pretty high. And I need that in my yeah. life now. But that, that, that makes me think of something else, actually. Um, you know how... This happened in the ASC, and it also happened this season when Carol shows up at the kingdom. 
just jumping back to Grady and how one of the reasons why Beth is so effective in that setting is because she can kind of, she has the camouflage of being this, you know, young, blonde girl who isn't physically strong. Although if you look at her arms and still, I think she's actually, she's pretty goddamn strong. She's a farm girl. She carries a baby for all of like two seasons. Yeah. Yeah. For all season two seasons, yeah. No, she's clearly she's clearly physically strong for her size, but she doesn't look physically strong. She's not intimidating. And so she ha- she kind of, she can have some camouflage. And then Carol is this older mm-hmm. woman. And of course she has this, you know, this total housewife shtick. You know, she bakes cookies for everybody and I don't know how to use a gun. And she she does that again in the kingdom, although she's, she's clearly kind of cracking and she doesn't fool Ezekiel for a minute because Ezekiel's <laughs> awesome. But but she she is kind of using camouflage in the same way. And one of the reasons why I think her and Beth are both great in that respect, in the context of the story that this the season is telling, is because, yes, Negan doesn't understand women at all. They they are potential wives or they're just sort of service animals and they're not dangerous. And I mean, personally, personally, I don't know how you look at Michonne and not conclude this is one of the most dangerous people <laughs> I've ever met. Like this, I should be I should be terrified and respectful and not make her angry. She could have yeah, she could and, have like no sword, no nothing in her hands. And I would run the other way if she was at, angry with me. Like yeah. no way. She's she's like she's like a beautiful war goddess. Yeah. She's terrifying. Um, but as far I mean, Rick uh, Rick and Negan and Michonne are all all on screen together at one point, and and I think that Negan just looks at her and then just completely dismisses mm. her. And I think that that was really intentional on the part of the writers because, yeah, absolutely, Michonne is immediately physically intimidating. She just is. But he doesn't look at her and see her as the threat. He's going to look at people like Rick and identify them as the threat. They're the people he has to tear down. He's he you know he looks at Maggie and he doesn't see anybody who's threatening. And Maggie's fucking terrifying, especially right now. Like she's scary as hell. And I like to think that as she gets more pregnant, yeah. she'll be scarier. I just think just that, like would be, that would be great. So yes. he, he looks at... Oh, my God. Exactly. No, yeah. Her and Sherry are both, like, splendid characters, <laughs> and I love it. But, yeah, Negan Negan doesn't get it. And one of the reasons... That, that's one of the reasons why I'd love to see him meet up with Carol, because I think he would look at Carol and not see that this is somebody who could, who could kill him in about five or six different ways in about ten seconds. And it's one of the reasons why I really, really want Beth to be alive, because I want him to see Beth, and I want to see what he makes mm-hmm. of her. Because I think it would be exactly the same thing as Carol, just in kind of the complete opposite would, direction. Like, she's not scary. Yeah, it would also be really interesting to see if he sees her as a daughter or as a woman. You know? That would yeah. be really interesting. Does he treat her like a little girl, or does he treat her like someone he could fuck? Um, because, I mean, the way yeah. they aged her up for season five, I'm not sure if she could be seen as a daughter fig- as a daughter in that way anymore. Um, but yeah, that would be really interesting. Especially with uh, with her facial wounds, yeah. because I think that if those became scars, they automatically kind of make yeah. her look older. In in, in kind of a new way. Yeah, but she, I mean, so I cool. wonder, like, you know, she oh, could play it please. as like a little being like a scared little girl with wide eyes, you know? And I don't know. Oh, I'm just I'm I'm getting these images of Negan being like so little girl, like like Negan. Oh, just Negan being like oh so little girl, you need help. She's just like yes, uh-huh. and stabs him in the face. It would be great. Absolutely. Yeah, well, and, and, and it's, I think that if she survived, that's something that she would, you see her kind of learning how to use it in Grady, and I think that it's something she would probably continue to develop as a survival mechanism, because yes, if you're, 
And I think I actually talked about this when I was talking about the spoiler that we got for for tonight's episode. It's if she has survived to this point, one of her survival mechanisms would be to appear to not mm-hmm. be threatening. Because when people let their guard down, that's when she can be exactly. the most dangerous. Yeah. So, oh God, please, Gimple, please, please let this be the kind of story you're telling. I need it. Ugh. All right, I should probably let you go. It's okay. now. Um, I, I don't know how much I feel like I babbled through all of that, but hopefully there's like something useful. No, no, I'm, it was I, awesome. I'm sorry I talked so much. It, I feel like I talked a lot. No, look, okay, look. If I didn't want you to talk, I wouldn't have, have know, done this. So yeah, the whole point of this was to have you talk. Oh my god, it was kind of to give me a break and have me not be talking for an hour and forty minutes, which is normally <laughs> what I end up doing. Uh, before I let you go, I told you I was going to do this. I celebrate Christmas and you celebrate Hanukkah, so clearly we can't do what do you want for Christmas. But this year, what do you want for winter giftiness most? And it can't be Beth alive because we both want that. Uh, honestly, I just want money. Like, that's, that's how <laughs> you know that I have graduated college and I am about to enter an entry-level yep. job. I just want money. So if anyone else, I just I just got a Patreon by the way because some be- yeah because some, oh you some, do that some beautiful user asked if they could buy me coffee and I was just like that would be the most beautiful thing anyone has ever done for me. Um, so if someone wants, oh, if, if there's a link to it on my blog, so if you want to give me the gift of money, I would be very appreciative. Yeah, actually, I I, lo- I love that you mentioned that because. Um... That's actually my. That was actually like probably, except for a Sephora gift mm-hmm. card. That's like the thing I want. I want financial. I want exactly. financial security. <laughs> like that, that would be absolutely amazing if somebody just wanted to give me that. But uh, I also have a Patreon, and it's uh, it's also linked on my blog. And I'll post when I post a uh, link to this. I'll post a link to your Patreon as well. Um, and also, I usually include a little blurb at this at the beginning of the episode, but uh, this podcast also has a PayPal donation button on our website. And if you want to like slush a couple bucks my way, that's also amazing because it helps me keep doing this. That's by, by the way, I think that that's something that's it's, it's obviously we don't want to profit off fandom in a capitalistic sense, but you and I both really care about, you know, we do this for fun, obviously, but it's it's cool if fandom show we're, we're working, we're producing stuff. It's cool if fandom shows some appreciation, especially given that we're both kind of starving artists. So yeah, absolutely, donating a little bit to either of our patrons, like a couple dollars every month, like that actually means a tremendous. Yeah, and amount. honestly, like I I can't so, write yeah. if I'm not in a cafe. So I've spent, you know. I mean, I'm not, again, like, as you said, like, I don't want to monetize fandom, but, like, I've spent hundreds of dollars at this point, you know, on tea and coffee and cafes working <laughs> on these goddamn fan fictions. So, like, yeah. as, as this beautiful person on Tumblr said, like, if you could buy me a coffee, that would be, you know, that would be a huge support for what I'm making. Yeah, awesome. Okay, everybody, seriously, go go buy Molly a coffee, please, because we need her to keep writing. We need her to keep writing. Get her to that cafe and get her tea. Oh, God. Okay. All right, I'm going to go ahead All and right, let you thank go. Thank you for doing I'm, so, I'm Again, I'm so sorry that I pushed this off the first time. No, stop. Um, I, <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Like I said, I was I was kind of blurry at that point, too. All right, get out of here. Go All enjoy right, the rest too. of your evening. Have a good night. Yeah, so that was awesome. I thought so. I hope you agree. Uh, Coming up now is the fic reading for this episode, which is me. 
because I really like this fic. I'm, I'm really pleased with it. It's really super short, but uh, it's a nice little Christmas tidbit. Uh, it's called... Uh, what the hell is it called? <laughs> Hang on, you guys. My head is all over the place and I don't even know what the fuck is going on. Oh, it's called To My Heart to Sing Thy Grace. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've actually... This is not the only fic I've done something with this song. Uh, it's actually one of my- it's not even really a Christmas carol, it's actually just a hymn. But Sufjan Stevens recorded a version of it for one of his Christmas albums and made it a Christmas carol. So even though it's not a Christmas carol, it's one of my favorite Christmas carols. Because I can do that if I want. And you guys actually get to hear my singing voice again with this, which I always feel super awkward about, but also, you know, it's kind of fun. I guess, again, I think. Hopefully you'll agree. So, here we go. Enjoy. Tune my heart to sing thy grace, by Dynamic Symmetry. The whole thing strikes him as pretty much a sham. He wouldn't say it. He's not that much of an asshole, and it's not like it's hurting anyone. And he can tell they kind of need it, at least the younger ones. And there's a kind of thin, not desperation, not exactly, but something a little like that in the adults. Herschel seems immune to it, and as usual Rick is keeping his own counsel. Daryl can guess why. I can guess why he prefers to remain apart. Carol, too. She might have very similar reasons. They leave him be, and he leaves them the same. Christmas has an edge to it. It cuts. You learn that when you get older, and start losing people one way or the other. But some children learn it far too early. But he won't leave the block, won't go outside, though guard duty makes sense if he's not going to get involved. Here he wanders the catwalks like he has something to guard inside, looking down at the tree they've dragged in and draped in salvage lights. Of all the things people loot, it turns out Christmas lights aren't very high on the wanted list. There's food. A bunch of people are singing a not particularly tuneful bunch of carols. There aren't really any presents to speak of, but this feels like something bigger and more diffuse than presents. Presents are too particular. This is communal, because it has to be. And there's also not much in the way of shopping going on. There are memories this calls up that he doesn't want. There are people absent he'd rather not think about now. People who made his life hell, made every Christmas a drunken, violent thing to dread, but that hadn't stopped him, as a child, from wanting one. Hadn't stopped him from trying. The block takes the tuneless singing, folds it into echoes, and reshapes it into something almost pretty. He leans against the rail, bow at his back, though he can't honestly see himself needing it, which is a dangerous way to feel and closes his eyes. Daryl? His eyes flick open. Of course it's her. Since Judith, their orbits keep swinging around toward each other, keep crossing. He doesn't really have a problem with that, because she's so good with Judith, and that's more than good enough for him, but he gets the distinct sense that she thinks he doesn't like her, and he's not sure how to set her straight. Beth confuses him. He's not sure why, and that bothers him, and maybe it makes sense that it comes off as dislike. She's holding Judith now, cradling her in her arms, and Judith is sleeping like the baby she is, both of them cast in a strange light, and something about the whole thing is abruptly difficult to look at. How come he ain't down with the others? He shrugs. Lots of reasons. None of them her business. I wanna. You should. We actually got a cake together. Icing and everything. She's cheerful, but as usual, not aggressively so. 
With him, there's always something a little careful about her. A little gentle. A little like how Carol can be, but not exactly. It's something she's made her own. I'll head down later. Later it's going to be gone. It's already going fast. She smiles, leans beside him, stroking Judith's wispy hair. Come on, it's chocolate. He does wish she'd leave him alone. Except he sort of doesn't. He keeps looking at her from the periphery of his vision, and he keeps noticing things. The way her smile curves just slightly sometimes, like it's always there, waiting to be revealed. The fall of her hair around her neck. The way, when she lowers her eyes to the baby, she reminds him of a Virgin Mary in a creche. Not the cheap, ugly plastic kinds people had in their yards when he was growing up, but something nice. Something in a church, maybe. He shakes himself. He might be too sober. She's fiddling with the beaded thong around her wrist, idly, looking down at the tree, when suddenly its clasping comes undone and it rattles to the floor. Oh, crap! And Judith stirs, sniffles, and begins to cry in the uncommitted way of a baby disturbed, but who won't need much coaxing to sleep again. She looks up at him, turns, and holds Judith out to him. Take her just a sec? And he does, reflexively, holding her like he does fairly often these days, cradling her in his arms and briefly distracted as always, by how well she fits there. He never had to try. He was never awkward. It was like instinct. He lays his cheek against Judith's soft head, still fontanelle but not for much longer, and murmurs something to her without thinking about it. And he's also watching Beth as she crouches to retrieve her bracelet from where it skittered away too close to the edge of the catwalk, the subtle grace in the way she moves. There are things he notices knows they must mean something, doesn't understand. She straightens up and brushes her hair back over her shoulder, replacing the thing around her wrist. This is something else he notices, has noticed from the beginning, where she wears those bracelets, and why. What she's hiding, without saying that she's hiding it. It's always made something in him ache. I can take her back, she starts, and then she must see something, because she stops, smiles again, and shakes her head. You keep her a while. For a second or two, he thinks he might argue. Then he doesn't. She moves closer to him, and he can smell something on her. Chocolate, he realizes. Chocolate and a hint of something else. Some kind of spice. It brings back no Christmas memories, but perhaps it's making some, and something in his chest tightens up. She lays a hand over Judith's head, strokes her, straightens the blanket wrapped around her, and before he knows it, She started singing something, low, her voice as sweet as ever. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor Daily I'm constrained to be Let that grace now, like a fetter Bind my wandering heart to thee Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. He's silent, listening. He listens a lot, and he listens carefully. People don't realize how much he hears. He thinks they might be alike in that way, even if there are things he doesn't understand. She falls silent, looking at Judith, looking up at him. 
From down below, the carolers are launching into another raucous verse of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. But up here, with her, it's quiet. It's peaceful. I can take her now, she says softly, and does. But she looks at him for a moment longer, and before he realizes what she's doing, before he can think of a way to stop her, before he can decide whether or not he wants to stop her, she leans up and kisses him. Just the corner of his mouth, but it lingers, and something warm shivers all through him. He doesn't understand. She pulls back, and her smile is small and secret, like a present just for him. Merry Christmas, Daryl. He doesn't say anything as she leaves, but he doesn't think he has to. She does that. She makes him feel like he can be quiet if he wants to. She makes him feel like she doesn't want anything from him. She makes him feel like he might be enough. He stands for a moment, looking down, watching her return to the others. The lights cast shifting colors over her hair, make her smile shine as she turns to say something to Maggie. They make her beautiful. There are things he doesn't understand, and the warm tightness in his chest doesn't fade as he heads down the stairs toward the group. Right now he doesn't need to. She's turning back to him as he comes to them, and this time her smile is so wide and so clear that it's a present for all of them. But there's still the one she gave him. That he'll keep. He'll keep it close. And maybe someday he'll understand. wraps it up. That was a lot of fun. Uh, by the way, I don't usually give shout outs to the music on uh, the podcast, partly because I only end up figuring out what the music will be. Oh, good, the oven beat. Uh, figuring out what the music will be uh, after I'm done recording. So I, at the time I'm recording, I really have no idea what the music will be. But I knew what this was going to be ahead of time. And I was really happy to find it. Uh, it's an artist named Lee Rosevere. Uh, I get a lot of his stuff for the podcast. He does some really amazing things. Uh, You can find him at freemusicarchive.com. This is Christmas Eve at Midnight. I went looking for Christmas music, and and this is one of the things I found, and it's just sweet and atmospheric, and I thought it really fit. All right, I'm going to go. Look for the sort of semi-Christmas episode in the next few days, hopefully, or, you know, after Christmas if if I can't can't get my shit together, but hopefully I will. All right, you guys, thanks so much for listening, and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.